Hi, church family. Good to see you. It's a pleasure to be here and a privilege to share God's word with you this morning. I apologise in advance. I am at the back end of a week of man flu, which many of you will know is very serious. Nobody seems to communicate just how serious it is to my dear wife. So if I sound a little bit bunged up, a little bit like a train platform announcement, I'm sorry. Um, In actual fact, we could try it, couldn't we? If you just close your eyes for a moment, just imagine yourself there. Good morning and welcome aboard the 545 Greater Anglia service to London Liverpool Street. Are you there? Have I taken you there? Good. I'll probably get a job at the end of this. <laughs> Good. Well, look, we're carrying our, our series in um, Colossians this morning. Um, Jesus Christ, the centre of all things. Uh, we're in chapter two this morning. I'm going to be picking up where Marcus left off last week. Who enjoyed Marcus last week? It was so helpful, wasn't it? So we're in chapter two. If you open your Bibles, Colossians chapter two, verses nine to 15. I'll read them and then we can kick off. Says this, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Big verse. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. Leave your Bibles open. We're going to be dipping in and out. It's so encouraging to hear what's coming through with the people that are sharing this morning, isn't it? What God is saying to us when we look in this passage now. And this passage follows on from a previous verse in verse 8 where Paul is is warning the church about false teachers people who are influencing the church. We don't know whether it's internal or external necessarily, but there's particularly people claiming to have special insight into the spiritual realm, looking for spiritual maturity, if you like. And Paul is saying simply in these verses, don't move on from your focus on and your reliance on the person of Jesus Christ. Marcus, last week, he talked about walking in him, living our lives in the light of who Jesus is, being rooted and built up in him. And so we never want to move on from a focus on Jesus, do we? As a church family, as kings, it's all about Jesus. It will always be all about Jesus. That's why this series is called The Centre of All Things, because he is. So we're continuing that thread this week, looking at being in him, in Christ. That phrase is repeated again and again and again through the book of Colossians. 
Paul is writing here to the followers of Jesus. He's reminding them their new identity in Christ is what helps them to resist the arguments, the persuasive arguments that these false teachers might come up with. Our identity, if you think about your identity for a moment, how we see ourselves, how we define ourselves, it affects our behaviour, doesn't it? Our priorities, what matters most to us. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we build our identity around our job or our bank balance or our relationships or maybe our mental or physical abilities, then our self-worth will be governed by the success or the failure of those things, which in turn affects our decision-making, how we respond to different things that happen in our life, the things that we come across. And so it's a cycle. And Paul is saying, now we are followers of Jesus. We inherit a new identity in him that is purely defined by who Jesus is and not by ourselves, not by us. In 1 John 4, it says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. We are in him, the Bible says. Paul is teaching us. We are in him and he is in us through his spirit. We're one with him. Like the very air we breathe, you think about that for a moment we're in it and it's in us isn't it that's our relationship with Jesus so to really understand who we are our identity we have to understand who he is and what he's done for us and so that's what I want us to look at this morning what simply what has Jesus done for us what has he achieved for us we've sung about it already this morning, but there's three places looking at this passage that I want to focus in on. The first one is this, we are filled full in him, we are united in him, and we're made alive in him. And there's a book I want to recommend. So much of what I'll say today really comes from this book. This is Michael Reeves. I don't know if this is on the bookstore, but it's on Amazon. Michael Reeves, Christ Our Life. Um, I'm not somebody who finds reading particularly easy. I find it really hard to get into a book. But I have to be honest with you, this book is just so easy to digest, so easy to read. There is so much truth in there. Michael Reeves has an incredible mind, but he's able to dial it down um, and make it digestible. So I hugely recommend that book to you. It's not a big book, but it's so helpful. I dip into it almost every time I speak. I read it once a year to remind myself who I am in Jesus. So buy that book today if you don't have it already. In verse 9 it says, All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God, Paul is telling us. He's not just an ambassador for God or, or a part of God. Jesus is fully God. Hebrews 1 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Verse 10, he says, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. All of the fullness of the deity lives in him in bodily form and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. The ESV says filled in him. 
And Ephesians 3 puts it this way in that wonderful passage. It says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is incredible when you think about the truth of that. Jesus Christ is God's complete and full and final act of redemption for us. And he's his complete and full and final revelation of himself. It's Jesus. So all we can know and experience of God, Paul is saying, can be found in our relationship with Jesus through his spirit. Everything you need is in Christ. He's our great high priest. We've sung it earlier. He's our mediator. He's sufficient. He lacks nothing, so we lack nothing. And there's no need for anything else to go anywhere else to try and enhance our spirituality or complete our spiritual maturity. There's no need to look elsewhere. Verse 10 says, he's the head over every power and authority, over every possible avenue of spirituality that is out there. Jesus is not just the best option. The Bible tells us he's the only option. He's the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is supreme, and he will share his glory with nothing and no one else. Marcus last week brought us such a clear picture of who Jesus is in those verses in Colossians 1. So I just want to go there again this morning just to remind us of that. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, everything in the physical realm and everything in the spiritual realm, everything in and on our planet and beyond our planet, across the cosmos, the stuff that we know nothing about. It's created by him, for him. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. If it exists, then Jesus was and is involved. That's who he is. He's the force that holds our very existence in perfect tension. You know, I was stood just the other night with a mate of mine. He's not a believer. And we'd been for a drink in the pub and it was pitch black in, in Roxham. And we came out to the car park, to the car, and he stood up and he just said, oh, look at that. Wow. Wow. And he started pointing out all the stars and all the planets to me because he knows all the constellations and where they are. And I just said to him, well, I said, does it not make you feel small? He said, yeah, I think, I think it does. I said... And we talked about how the earth is held in perfect tension in relationship and distance from the sun and how the tilt of the earth is just where it needs to be. And I said to him, what, what do you think holds all that together? It's fascinating. The truth is it's Jesus. It says he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross 
for us. Philippians 2 says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And that's who Jesus is. That's what he's done for us. Our mighty creator of the universe gives himself, gave himself up for you and for me. Verse 11, Paul says, Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Why would Paul put it that way? Why mention circumcision? Cross your legs for a moment, gents. For Jews, circumcision, we know, is a sign of the covenant between God and his people through Abraham to make him fruitful. God's promising to bless him with fertility. And you can read about it in Genesis 17. Don't Google it, please. Read about it in Genesis 17. Baby boys and men brought into the household, brought into the family, had to be circumcised. And if you're uncircumcised, you are outside that covenant promise. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and call uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The circumcision Paul is talking about here is a cutting off of the body of flesh, is the word, the, the phrase the Bible uses, that, that body of sin, that sinful nature in us. The old rebellious me, full of self-reliance and self-interest that's worked out through my body and, and its desires. So circumcision is a metaphor for a transition from the old life to the new life. Jesus conquers the power of sin. And that happens when you come to Christ. Something he does by his spirit. Not something we do. Christ is cutting us free from our old self dominated by sin that impedes our relationship with God. And we see this so clearly in baptism, don't we? We baptise people here on a Sunday under the stage. We, we take the lid off. Before we do that, it's not like some horrendous Bush Tucker trial. You will have seen us baptise people. And we're identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection, passing from death to life. As we're immersed in water, it dramatises the saving work of Jesus. What it's about, Romans 6. This is a really similar passage to the one we're in, but it's just so helpful in its phrasing. So here we go. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know our old self was crucified with him so the body ruled by sin might be done away with we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Amen. 
So having died with him, we're buried with him. That's the picture. As we go under the water, our old identity is killed off and buried with Christ. And we're raised with him. As Christ was raised and the power of God up out of the water, we're resurrected to new life in him. Just as circumcision is an outward sign of a covenant between God and his people, baptism then is a sign of a new covenant, a spiritual birth. We're born again into the new covenant family of God. Baptism's an external expression of an internal reality going on inside us. It's the sign of our union with Christ, our identification with him. We're united with him in baptism. And I don't think the Bible teaches that the baptism's an optional extra. It's a key sign of our coming to faith. There's a clear picture in the book of Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, you know, it's repentance, turning away from our sinful ways and towards God, belief in who Jesus is and baptism. And those things seem to happen concurrently, simultaneously, without delay. It's not, baptism's not if we fancy it or when we get around to it. It's an essential expression of saving faith. You know, if you think about marriage, if you think about a wedding ring, a wedding ring, like mine, is an outward sign of a covenant. In wedding vows, we used to say something like, with this ring, I thee wed. I don't know if they still do it that way. There's nothing special about the ring, really. It's just a metal ring. Mine is palladium, apparently. That's what the guy in the jewellers told me when he took a month's wages off me for it. Please, please don't Google it and then come and tell me it's made out of baked bean cans. I'll be very... I'll be very upset. There's nothing special about the ring, but it's what it signifies to my wife, Holly, and to others, that covenant vow that I made with her, my union with her. We said to each other, all that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. And that's what that ring represents. And it struck me, if when I married Holly... In, got to that point in the service where we did our vows with the rings and I just looked at her and I said, do you know what, I'm not really into the rings. Can we just wait on the rings? We'll get to the rings another day. Let's not worry about the rings for now. Let's just not worry about it. I think in that moment, at best that would have been seen as very odd and at worst, I think Holly may have forcibly put the ring somewhere it's not meant to go. It's important, isn't it? But that's exactly what I did when it came to getting baptised. I started following Jesus at a young age. I think I was six or seven. But when it came to baptism, I put it off. And I put it off. And I felt like I had to have everything figured out before I made that step. And I completely missed the point that it isn't about me and whether I feel like I'm a good enough Christian, whether I've got it all together or not. It's simply about what Jesus has done for me. Galatians 3 says, All of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so I realised after a decade or more, 
being a Christian isn't about what I do, it's about who I am. It's about my identity. So when I was baptised, the old me was crucified with him and the new me is raised with him. Jesus paid a price for me. I'm a loved son. I'm in Christ. And baptism for me is one of the most exciting parts of church life. I don't know if you'd agree with me. Being able to watch somebody take that step, hearing how Jesus has transformed someone's life, watch them take that step of obedience, excites me. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're yet to be baptised, I want to encourage you, get baptised. Get baptised. Talk to someone about it. If you've got questions, that's fine. Talk to someone. You can talk to your life group leader. You can find someone at the back with a lanyard on. Talk to them. We've got some booklets here about baptism that explain a lot of the stuff I've been talking about. Don't hesitate like I did. Get baptised. My third point is this. In the ESV, this verse says this, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I wonder if you've ever been surprised by a very large bill or invoice or charge. If it ever had a shock in the post, I have. I remember when, before I married Holly, she went to Lesotho with um, Tear Fund, was it Holly, for four months. And during that time, I went to Kenya to visit my mate Adrian in Kenya. And I wanted to keep in touch with Holly um, while she was there. So we both had mobile phones and there was a lot of phoning and texting um, during that month. But what I didn't realise was I was paying for the um, call to go from Kenya to the UK, through the UK network and out of the UK to Lesotho again. And they charge you a lot for that. So when I came home, um, my phone bill for one month from Vodafone was very large. I'm not going to tell you how much it was, but just know it was just shy of four figures. Don't, get, no, don't gasp. Don't judge me. Ed Beckingham stopped breathing. Someone hit him. It was worth it. It was worth it. There you go. It was worth it. Holly's shaking her head. You didn't agree. But it was a big shock. I'd been enjoying myself, staying in touch with Holly, carrying on with little thought or understanding as to what would be coming. There's this long list of international communications that would catch up with me when I got home. And it's the same for us with our sin, with our self-centred turning away from God. The Bible teaches there'll be a day of reckoning before God. Paul in Romans says each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And here we've got this, this is a courtroom picture with a judge and there's an accusation. There's a debt that needs settling. It needs accounting for and someone's got to pay. And I think about my life in that situation 
and the huge long list of accusations against me. Immorality, greed, anger, deception, envy, malice, the fruit of my old identity, the uncircumcised me, corrupt from the inside out. Paul says, our sin makes us spiritually dead. Not just bad, dead. Bad people can do something about it. They can try and improve themselves. Dead people can't. I don't know if you've ever spent any time with a corpse. They are quite unresponsive, aren't they? Paul says we're spiritually dead. We can't do anything for ourselves. We need rescue. That's what we sung about earlier. We need rescue. Romans 7 puts it like this. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he tells us, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus has paid it. He's paid it. Jesus was nailed to a cross in our place and he took our record of debt, our record of sin with him. He sets it aside, Paul says. The debt's been cancelled. It's been nailed to the cross in his body, taken upon himself. And it doesn't count against us anymore. Satan, the accuser, has lost his one weapon against us. The one thing he can use to destroy us. Jesus has dealt with it. We're forgiven in him, spotless, blameless. The slate is wiped clean. Paul says we're made alive. We were dead and now we're woken up raised to life, to be really alive in him, to live for him. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're with us this morning, this this is the amazing truth of the gospel. Jesus takes our sin, he defeats our death, so we can have him. Because we can't have him any other way. You see, the greatest benefit of being saved by Jesus is Jesus, Jesus himself. We get to enjoy him. It's not just that we're saved from hell and we get to enjoy heaven and be be free from all the mess of the world we live in. The joy of heaven is an eternity with Christ. And we get to share in all he has. Back to those wedding vows, Jesus says to us, all I am I give to you and all that I have I share with you. In 2 Corinthians, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only reason we have his righteousness is that we have him. Our righteousness is his righteousness, not something he sort of dishes out to us. Here, have some righteousness. It's his because we're in him. Being made alive with Christ means, most importantly, that we don't have to rely on ourselves anymore. I want to read you this from, from this book. There's a couple of bits I want to read you. I just found this so helpful. This is Michael Reeve. He says, This reliance on ourselves is no option in light of the cross. However fantastic, 
fantastically marvellous we may think we are, the cross is God's verdict on us as sinners. It annihilates even the possibility of finally placing our trust in ourselves, meaning we can know a far greater assurance, anchoring it in farm ground outside ourselves in Christ. Christians are people who have given up all claims to both our badness and our goodness, and instead gotten him. Hallelujah. That's good news. Our behaviour doesn't define us anymore. When you define yourself by something other than Christ, you become like something other than Christ. And Paul says it's ugly. If you define yourself by your success or your popularity, you'll become one of two things, either puffed up in pride or deflated and imploding with despair. And you'll probably yo-yo between the two. But Paul tells us we have a new identity. We are a new creation. Our life becomes Christ's life. He's loved by the Father. He's a loved son, loved unconditionally. And we become loved sons and daughters. The Bible says, seated with him in heavenly places. So we don't need to act out of guilt or neediness or through trying to impress people. We don't have to strive to keep our identity intact. We act like Christ. Holiness is delight in Christ. The reason we hate sin is because we love Jesus. If the band want to come back up, I'm going to bring us into land. I just want to read this one more passage here. He says this, The more I know myself to be a true child of God, the more I see of Christ, the deader I find myself to sin. It still allures me, but not as it did. I find old sinful desires dying and new holy ones springing up. I find myself longing, yearning to be free of the sins that I once held so dearly. I have a new heart, after all, the heart of a child of God, and it feels and wants differently, like Christ. In fact, in all I'm a new creation. I have new ears that hear differently. I have a new brain that thinks differently. New hands that act differently and a new tongue that speaks differently. We're in Jesus. We're in Christ. So our focus needs to be on him because you become like who you look at. We become like Jesus through looking at Jesus. We focus our attention on him. We're in him. And then we begin to sound like him. And when people spend time with us, they spend time with him. We share his life. We share his compassion. We share his love for the weak and the lonely and the lost and the foreign students. We're in him. Our future's secure. And the goal for us in our Christian life is to remain in him. We're going to respond now through singing one of my favourite hymns, Before the Throne of God Above. I just want us to make this our prayer, giving thanks to God for who he is.
reminding ourselves as we sing it, this is who you are, Jesus. And we're declaring that truth to everyone around us. Let me leave you with this from, this is from Charles Wesley from one of his hymns, And Can It Be? And the words say this, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach, is what Jim brought earlier, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, it's so clear for us in Scripture. You make it so obvious. Thank you that you are above all and in all. Lord Jesus, the world we're in was created by you, through you, for you. Help us to see exactly who you are, Lord Jesus, this morning. Lord, help us to help us to, to digest that truth of what it means for us to be in you, Lord Jesus. You dealt with our sin at the cross so we can have relationship with you, so we can live in you. We don't need to struggle on our own with our own ideas, trying to figure things out, trying to prop ourselves up. Help us to rest in you. Help us by your spirit to remain in you, Lord Jesus. Because that is the thing that makes the biggest difference to this world that we're in. Would you do it, Lord Jesus, by your spirit now, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.